Once again, today we're going to suspend our series on the book of Acts and going to preach something in going along with the theme of Independence Day and the freedoms that we have. I'm going to read just one verse of Scripture today. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. God bless you. Thank you for your attention today. The 4th of July is a time in which we celebrate our independence from England and from the oppression that we experience. And today I'm preaching Standing in Freedom. We celebrate that independence. We celebrate that freedom. And if you look at history, there are a variety of reasons why this was true, a variety of reasons why our forefathers wanted to be free. One of them, and maybe most importantly, was taxation without representation as King George was taking a whole lot of money and taxing everything and you are, many of you would be familiar with the Boston Tea Party as he was putting a tax on tea. Of course, hardly anybody drinks tea except for me. Most of you, you drink coffee. You're not drinking tea because our, we have long lost our British heritage and, and I can't stand hot tea like they would have drank then and maybe like they still do in England. But they wanted to govern their own affairs. They didn't want somebody across the ocean telling them what to do and when to do it and how to do it and how much they had to pay because there is in all of us a desire to be free, a desire of, uh, for us to do what we want to do. Anybody, anybody have that desire? You just want to do what you want to do. And more importantly, you want to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And that, unfortunately, leads to the demise of many people. The Bible, though, speaks of freedom. It speaks of liberty. It speaks of the need for people to be free from bondage, for people to be free from sin. We'll talk about that. But I want to go through this text today. We're starting a little late, so I'm going to jump straight to it. But I want to bring out four principles or four truths about freedom from Galatians chapter 1. The first thing is this, is that God created us for freedom. He created us to be free. All you have to do is look around in nature and you will see that innate in God's creation is the desire for freedom. Animals long to be free. If you take a, an animal that has not been domesticated, that has not been raised uh, in a cage or raised in a, in a pen, they have this desire to be free. They have this desire to go where they want to go, when they want to go. And if you take a wild animal and you put it in a cage, at the first opportunity they will seek to escape 
never to be seen again. It is something that is deep inside of animals. It is also something that is deep inside of people. We have that same innate desire for freedom. We have that same innate desire to control our own affairs and to control our own destiny. And when confronted with oppression, people rise up much like our American forefathers. They rise up and say, we want to be free from the government of England. We want to do our own things. And in fact, even in our United States, where we have more freedoms than most, people still don't like the government telling them what to do. And they want small government. I think it's maybe New Hampshire, live free or die. They're still looking for that freedom and basically nobody telling them what to do. They want to do their own thing when they want to do it. When enslaved people resist or when people are enslaved, they resist like the the African-American slaves in our own nation trying to throw off the bands of slavery of somebody owning them and telling them what to do and controlling their every move. When mistreated and not granted the rights of others, there is a cry for freedom, much like Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr.'s most famous speech where he puts these words, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last. Because there is a desire in people to live free and to do what they want to do and to control their own destiny. And I would tell you, that can be a bad thing, but for most of us and for the way God has created us, it is a desire for freedom. That freedom, however, can cause trouble. That desire to do our own thing can cause trouble. In fact, when God created man to be free, he put Adam and Eve in a garden, a perfect utopia. And in that garden, they had freedom to do whatever they wanted, but specifically they had the freedom to obey God and to follow His commands. Very few at that time. They had the freedom to commune with Him and to talk with Him and to be with Him. They had freedom to have dominion over the earth. In Genesis 1.28, the Bible says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. They were given dominion, and they were given the freedom to exercise that dominion in fact they were free to eat of every tree of the garden except for one but because they wanted to be free they didn't want even God telling them what to do they disobeyed God's one prohibition which leads us to this second truth and that is this that sin took away our freedom How did we lose it? We lost it because Satan had been kicked out of heaven for rebellion. He had been kicked out of of the, the greatest utopia in all of creation, which was heaven, where there is God and then there's all ain't nothing but angels. It doesn't get any better than that. But Satan, who rebelled and decided he he wanted to be like the Most High, exalted himself and desiring to be like God. 
God, of course, kicks him out and one-third of the angels with him. And then God creates the world around us. He creates man. He creates all that you see. Satan, of course, not being happy with his expulsion from heaven, shows up in God's earthly utopia, shows up in the garden, and he tempts Eve to partake of the fruit of the tree. The Bible says that Eve was deceived. She didn't fully understand what was going on. The New Testament would tell us that she was deceived. She eats of the fruit. And then she gives to Adam who, in his desire to do what he wants to do, in his desire to not follow God's law, in his desire to be free, he eats of the tree. And his rebellion, he's not deceived, but he in rebellion eats the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And his disobedience results in the fall of man. But he was still free. No, the reality is this, that when man sinned, we lost the freedom of a pain-free childbirth. When man sinned, we lost the freedom of a trouble-free work. When man sinned, we lost freedom to be in the garden. We lost freedom to walk and talk with God in the cool of the day. And when man sinned, he lost immortality because Adam and Eve were designed to live forever. They got to do what they wanted to do, but then it took away a whole lot of other things. It took away the freedoms that really mattered. When Adam and Eve sinned, it took away the ability to be free from the law of sin and death which says this, that the man that sins, he shall surely die. Everyone who sins is destined for death. Man lost the freedom to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ, to spend an eternity with our Creator. But not only did man lose these freedoms, but he entered into a bondage to sin. Paul would write it this way in Romans, For the good that I will to do, I I do not do. But the evil I don't want to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And what he's saying is, I don't want to do this stuff, but I'm doing it anyway, and it's because sin is dwelling in me, and sin is controlling me and calling the shots. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And he finishes that section of Scripture with this verse, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because... Adam and Eve, in choosing to do their own thing, they actually lost their freedom. And because they lost their freedom, you and I are born into sin. That you and I are born with a a bondage to sin where we are controlled by something else. It has been said that that last verse I read to you, Romans 7, 24, 
where Paul makes this anguished cry, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death. It has been said that one of the ways in which the Romans would torture their prisoners who were destined for death is that they would take a dead corpse and they would tie that dead corpse to their back. That everywhere they went, that dead corpse was hanging on them and the disease and the infection and the things from that dead corpse would get into their body and it would kill them in a slow and agonizing way. I don't know that that's true, but that's kind of what Paul is saying. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I can't get away from it. It's bound to me. In our desire for freedom, sin takes it away. And not only is it just a generic idea of sin, but sin leads to other addictions. And many of you, if not all of you, would know somebody who's addicted to drugs or alcohol or tobacco or other manner of things or pornography where you try to break away, but you can't because you're bound to it. It's that sin that holds you back. It's that sin that keeps you from doing what you really want to do. In our desire for freedom, we become more and more enslaved to sin. But what this passage in Galatians would tell us is that Jesus has made a way for us to be free. He has made a way for our freedom. He has conquered the law of sin and death. He has made us free. Jesus would use Isaiah 61 when he stands up in the synagogue on a Sabbath day. And he would read from Isaiah 61 and he would say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That Jesus Christ came to bring freedom and Jesus Christ came to bring liberty. Anybody thankful for that today? Would you give the Lord praise for that? Jesus came to set us free. It through the sacrifice of the cross and experiencing the new birth, you and I have been set free. I put that caveat on there. Jesus went to the cross and his sacrifice on the cross was big enough to cover the sins of the whole world. But it's not just a blanket coverage. It's Only those who come to Him, only those who go through the new birth process and are born again, only those does the sacrifice of Jesus cover their sin. Only then does it set us free. Paul would write of our salvation a few verses later from where I read earlier in chapter 8, and he said this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life, has made us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. Jesus would say in John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. 
Anybody thankful that Jesus Christ has set you free? Because this is just a random thought, I'll throw it out there. When I was growing up, there was a song. Many of you may have heard it. He that the Son is set free. It's free indeed, which comes from that verse. I was raised in Louisiana, as many of you know. They do not enunciate very clearly in Louisiana. Consequently, I was 21 before I knew it was indigestion. The way they said it, it was indigestion. I mean, it's that gestion on the inside, man. It's not outer gestion, it's indigestion. Somebody said, man, I got very close veins. I'm like, man, me too. <laughs> I can see my veins through there instead of varicose veins. Where I'm going with that is this. People would sing that song, and it says, the one of the verses says, ownership was transferred. I kept, I mean, I'm just telling you, what I heard all my life was ownership was transferred. I'm like, man, well, I don't know what that ship is. Is that the good old ship of Zion? I don't know. Only those of you who have been around a long time may get that. But I was probably in my 20s before I knew it was ownership. I'm like, okay. Hopefully I'm enunciating clearly enough today. I listened to a video of me baptizing Clinton Cruz last night. My, my wife is going to play it in Sunday school. And I was like, dude, I sound awful. <laughs> but hopefully you can understand. But understand this, that when Jesus has set us free, we are free indeed. Four verses earlier, Jesus said this, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, He is the truth, and He will make us free. We shall be free indeed. So what are we free from? If He makes us free, we're, we're free from past sins. We have forgiveness for the sins of our past. We have deliverance for our present and our future sins. We have freedom to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We have freedom to follow Him and to obey Him and to do the things that He has called us to do. Things that we could not do because of the bondage of sin, we now have freedom in Jesus Christ. As a result of that freedom, the fourth thing I would tell you is this, that we are commanded to stand firm in our freedom. Paul would write in Galatians 5, 1, stand firm in the freedom and do not become again entangled in a yoke of bondage. The King James would say it this way, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Standing firm, or that idea of standing firm, it is a present active imperative. And that means it is a command, and it is a command that we are to continue to do. It is to be currently present everywhere we are and at every moment we live and it is something that you and I have to do we don't stand firm because somebody else is standing firm we have to stand firm on our own we can do it through the power of the spirit but we have to stand firm 
There are other places in the New Testament where we are are exhorted to stand firm. We are to stand against the enemy. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Putting on the whole armor of God. We are exhorted to stand firm against persecution. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be Brave, be strong. Reality is this. Maybe it's not true for you. It's true for me. And I would say maybe for most people. It's that people follow the path of least resistance. It's what rivers do. It's what water does. If you put water out in your yard, it's going to find the easiest way to navigate. It's going to meander through your yard to the lowest point. Rivers, they will change course over time because it's looking for the path of least resistance. And sometimes the pressure will will wash down a bank and the river will then meander off in another direction. But people take the path of least resistance. Whatever is easiest, that's what we're going to do. And I would tell you that because of our still present sin nature, as Paul wrote about in Romans 7, we do the things that we don't want to do because it becomes easier to do that or it becomes part of, we don't have to fight against sin. So we are exhorted by Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit to stand firm in our freedom. Satan will attack our freedom. He doesn't want us to be free. He doesn't want us to serve God. He doesn't want us to follow God. He doesn't want us to do the things of the kingdom, so he will try to destroy our liberty in Christ and our freedom in Christ the the habits the attitudes the sins of our old life will try to come back unless we resist unless we stand firm the things that God has delivered us from will become part of our life again he ends the passage don't take on a yoke of slavery as you are well aware yoke is what they put on oxen that they will put two, two oxen in a yoke together to pull a cart or to pull a plow. And ultimately, where one oxen goes, the other one's going because they're joined together by this great wooden yoke on their necks. And what Paul is saying is this, don't let sin put that yoke back on you where you're following sin's path and you're following sin's direction, but stand firm in the freedom that Jesus Christ has given us. I would tell you, that from the moment you're saved until you get to heaven, or you die, whichever comes first, whether it's the rapture or heaven, that there is a resistance and a standing firm that we have to do. Otherwise, our old lifestyle may come back. 
as they come to the music. I, I would even tell you that maybe worse than, than stumbling and falling into sin after you're saved in our and this is not in my this is not in my notes but but it's been a common theme that I see among those who are called Christians they don't even stumble and fall back into the sin of their past they never even leave it They make a declaration of salvation, but they never even leave sin. Ultimately, they never even know freedom because they haven't been delivered from the bondage of sin. But if you have been delivered from the bondage of sin, Stand firm today in the freedom that Jesus Christ has given us. How do we stand firm? We do it by renewing our commitment and our consecration to Him. We stand firm by praying. We stand firm by fasting, abstaining from food or other things so we can get closer to Him. We stand firm by reading His Word. We stand firm by doing what you're doing today and showing up in God's house. We stand firm by worshiping Him. We stand firm by following the counsel of godly leadership and the preaching and teaching of godly leadership. We stand firm by refusing to embrace old habits, by refusing to embrace worldly friendships, by refusing to embrace worldly activities or things that are not conducive to living for Jesus. We don't do the same things we've always done and hope to stand firm, but we make a break from worldly lifestyle. We stand firm by walking in the Spirit. We stand firm by not following religion, but following a relationship with Jesus Christ. God has created us for freedom. Sin took it away. But Jesus made a way for us to be free. Because of that, we are commanded to stand firm in our freedom. Would you stand together with me today? How do we get free? In the first place, we get free when we embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul would succinctly write in 1 Corinthians 15, it is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That we who are bound in sin, we who are destined to spend an eternity apart from Jesus, 
because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have eternal life. We get that eternal life by believing and repenting, admitting we are a sinner and acknowledging that Jesus is the only way, choosing to follow Him as Savior and Lord. We get that freedom by being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. We get that freedom from receiving the free and necessary gift of the Holy Spirit with the additional evidence of speaking in a language that we have not learned. How do you know he's moved in when you speak in a language that you haven't learned? you haven't experienced that new birth today don't delay make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ it's not just a commitment to saying Lord I want you to save me but it's a commitment that says Lord I want to follow you to serve you and to love you all of my days I want to take your name in the waters of baptism I want to be filled with your spirit. If you haven't done that today, today is the day of salvation. If you have done that, then the exhortation for you today is this, stand firm in your freedom. No turning back, no going back. The writer of Hebrews would write that he who has put his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Through the power of the Spirit, we can stand firm. It doesn't mean we'll never make mistakes. It doesn't mean we'll never fall. It doesn't mean we'll never sin. It just means that no matter how we fall or what we stumble in, that we're still looking to Jesus. We're still seeking to follow Him. We're still striving after I could close with this final exhortation. The writer of Proverbs 26:11. Speaking of dogs and fools, he said this: as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. What I would tell you is just like dogs do that. You've been around dogs, you've seen them. But people have a tendency to return to their sin. Yeah, we've experienced freedom. We've been there, done that. We've got the t-shirt. And then they return to their sin. But let the Spirit and the Word say, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. On this July 4th weekend, we are to stand firm in our freedom in Christ. Regardless of what happens in our world, regardless of what happens in our nation, stand fast in the freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. If that's your desire, would you just lift your hands where you are right now? Would you would you ask the Lord to help you to stand firm in the power of the Spirit? Jesus, we love you.